Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. We'll read it together. It's just a short verse, but a very important one to learn for the Christian life. Let's say it together. Begin. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let's pray. Father, short verse. We keep going over and over and over because we need to believe it. Thank you that you give us great promises. And this is one of the greatest ones for the Christian. Not that we can do anything we want, but we can do whatever you ask us to do. So bless the, um, the hearing, the preaching, the doing of your word this morning. Please meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. All right. I want to talk to you about Gideon's 300. And as we read there in Philippians 4.13, the Bible says that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Those words were written by an ex-Jewish man named Paul who was sitting in a prison awaiting trial before Caesar Nero because he had upset some people with the gospel and it just got them where they wanted to kill him. Now he wrote this letter to a bunch of Philippian Christians up in northern Greece to encourage them. He, at this point he didn't need encouragement, although everyone needs some encouragement. He wrote it to encourage the Christians. And even though he had lost everything in life, if you met him, he would have been the most joyful and most hopeful person you would ever meet. And he bragged that he was able to do what he was doing and face what he was facing by the strengthening power of the Son of God in his life. Now, my job is to try to convince you that that power is still true. To get us to live like that is still true. Never shying away from whatever God asks of us. And it may be God may ask you to do something easy or wonderful or pleasant. But often, I mean, we're just, we're realists, okay? Often he asks us to do something that is beyond us. And he says, trust him that he will be your strength. That's the point. So God gave us a great example. A young man named Gideon about an impossible task. And he shows us that anyone can do whatever God asks of them by the strength of Jesus. Now, you say, well, what, do you, what, 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 what might be hard about the Christian life? Well, staying married is hard. Preaching the Bible from cover to cover. A lot of people don't like a lot of the Bible. But if you ever stand behind this pulpit, if you ever have the privilege of preaching, preaching the Word of God is hard. And whatever God asks you to do, you can do it by Christ who strengthens us. God may ask you to become a missionary, a faraway country. I mean, it'd be nice if God asked us to be missionaries in the Bahamas, amen? Or in the Canary Islands or somewhere, you know, where all those people on the beach, they need Jesus. You know how it is. But if you were to become a missionary, as hard as that may be, I can do it through Christ that strengthens me. Maybe, it may be to endure a hardness with health, hardness with family situations. Just opening our mouths and telling a complete stranger they need to get saved. They must be born again. That's hard, but you can do all things through Christ. That's what we're trying to learn and apply, folks. If you ever have an addiction and you're struggling against it and it keeps gripping you and keeps pulling you down, there's just something wonderful you go, wait a minute, I can do all things through Christ. So whatever God asks you to do, the Bible says that that verse there, and this, this, that verse is, is proven by Gideon, and shown in his life to prove that whatever asks of you, like he did him, the strength of the Son of God in you is enough. So, let's go to Judges chapter 7. Back to the book of Judges. Chapter 7. And um, uh, it says 6 for ignore that. I don't know how I didn't change that. But Judges chapter 7. 
And um, let me get there. Now, God spent all of chapter 6 encouraging and convic convincing a young man named Gideon to do something impossible. Hmm. He was supposed to drive an entire army of 100,000 Midianites back out of the land of Israel and back running home. Gideon was the least likely man for the job. He was terrified of the task that God had asked him to do. He had to be over and over and over convinced that God would keep his promise and actually help him and win using him. Now, Gideon struggled with, we saw last week, with putting God to the test two times with fleeces to confirm, are you sure? And God said, yep. So Gideon finally is convinced and he's ready to face off with and push the Midianite army back out of Israel. Now, in, 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 uh, in chapter 7, look at verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, now that's his, yeah, that's his new name. I mean, he was named that. It means the guy who takes on Baal or the devil. This is a guy who fights even the devil. So it says, then Jerubbabel, which is, uh, who is Gideon, and all the people that are with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. So if you just get the idea, two armies are now setting up their tents and they're facing off and they're getting ready to attack. Now, uh, 32,000 end up with Gideon. In chapter 6, we saw that 32,000 have gathered and it's time for them to, to, to meet. It's basically for every one Israeli soldier, there are three Midianite soldiers. So it's three to one. It's kind of hard, but that's not impossible. Not for Gideon. Gideon thinks, right, we don't have a lot of guys, but it's three to one. He's ready to go. So they set up their camp. And to him, ah, he's looking around going, you know, I can see us winning. I can see us managing this thing. Then God interrupts Gideon in verse two and says, you know what? Oh, let me just show you here. This is what's happened. He has called for all the people all around where, where Midian has, has gathered to attack. And to, basically, when they attack, what they want is they just want the, the, they want the crops, they want the cattle, they want all of the, the, the harvest of that season, and they're just going to take it and go home. And so he calls for all of the, the, the men of Israel to gather. And so they've all gathered, and only 32,000 come, but it's enough. But then what's, what's funny is, all that army there, Gideon's like, yay, we're going to win, we're going to win. And then God says, no, there's too many. Like I said, God first wants to overcome fear in your life, but then he's got to overcome overconfidence. We're, we're, we're in this battle between two extremes. One is we feel we can't do it, then we think we can. And neither one of them are correct. God can. And the Christian who learns that, you never will and never were able to be saved, live the Christian life, even, even praying. God says, I'll help you with that too. You say, well, that means we're pretty wimpy, we're pretty invalid, and we are. We just, we don't bring much to the table at all when it comes to worship. It's all Jesus. So God says, there are too many. Now that's, that's, uh, that's kind of scary because Gideon thought there were too many against him. And then God says, there are too many with him. Who ever heard of such a thing? You got too many on your side. God said that there were too many people, too many men gathered in that, gathered for God. 
for God to get all the glory. Now, God had promised that the victory was guaranteed, but you know, the problem is when they get into that battle and they win, they'll think they did it. And that's bad. We're deceived into thinking we can live without God's help. We can go days without praying. We can go days and weeks without begging God for help. We just plow ahead. And, and, and sometimes some of us were raised to just plow ahead and do what needs to be done. From the lawn meets mowed, you mow the grass. The dishes need washed, you wash the dishes. Bills need to be paid, you pay the bills. And we do that, but then we, we forget that all of the things that we do, we will fail at. We will run out of steam. We'll make wrong, wrong decisions. And we, de we must learn to depend upon God, even for the little things. So when the glory of success shines upon us, it hurts us. It damages us. It makes us like the devil. What was the sin of the devil? Pride. When the glory and the brightness of glory of success shines on God, we come out the better. We get blessed. So you need to understand that God doesn't share his glory, doesn't share his honor, doesn't share his praise with anyone. Isaiah, here I'm going to read it for you. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. He won't give it to Mary. He won't give it to his church, to a church. He won't give it to uh, any of us, he says. The glory belongs to me. So when you're going, whoo, I'm a smart guy. Wow, I'm a great preacher. Wow, I'm a great worker. I'm, I've got a great business. Look what I've done. God says, ah, 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 ah. I did it. I did it. Any good thing that's in your life, the Bible says God did it. So Gideon's got to learn this. And so step by step, God is going to strip down. He's going to, he's going to cut back and scale back that army of Israel to 301 men, and then he's going to win. So knowing that story, let's look at how God strips him down. Look at verse 2 as we pick up. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are, look at those two words, too many for me to give the Midianites in their hands. So if Bill and I are here and somebody needs, uh, you ever seen how some people park their cars? And they park their car maybe right up against yours. You can't get into your side of the car. You ever seen people park like that? You really don't like people like that. So Bill and I say, let's go over here and let's pick up that car and move it away out of the, over to the side so we can get back into the car, okay? So you and I look at it and go, we can't move this thing. There's too few of us. This is how we would look at it. There's too few to move the car. But see, God doesn't say there's too few. He says there are too many to win. That's, that's how God sees things. Remember, my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. You may think, Bill and I, we got to go get Gavin, and go get Gavin and get Josiah, and Josiah, oh, why don't you ask Yuming, let's get all of us, and we'll pick up that car. We'll actually turn it sideways so they can't get out at all. You know how it is. So, but God says, we're going to win with the opposite of what you expect. So, here, God says, let the fearful go back. Look at verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2, he keeps going. There are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt. To vaunt means to push up themselves against me, pridefully saying, mine own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, go to, get going. Proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. Why don't you go back? And there return to the people, how many? Twenty and two thousand and there remained 10,000. So the 32,000 men 
looking at a hundred thousand men, they got scared. And I don't, uh, you can watch all the movies you want, war movies. I, I actually have known and I have some good friends who were in Vietnam. I, my dad knew and we were friends with, I never knew because I was too young, who were in Korean War. And you know what's the truth about those, those people who were in those wars? They never talk about it. They never glorified one second of being in because it was the most terrifying, the most awful thing you could ever imagine. And then you add 100 fold to it. So when you think of a soldier facing off against an army, there is fear that takes a hold of you. And so Gideon was told, if anybody's afraid, let them go home. I can imagine Gideon thinking that, that, uh, that well, maybe just, maybe, Two or three hundred, maybe, maybe a couple of hundred would go, okay? Now, the truth is, God said it was okay to be afraid. And God said it's okay to go home. Now, this is really interesting. Deuteronomy 20, I'll just read it for you just for time. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 5, and the officers, God said, anytime you go to fight, I want the officers to speak unto the people, saying, what man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicated to, him, to his own name. Verse, tw- verse 6. And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard, and hath not eaten of it yet? Let him also go and return to his house, let him, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of his vineyard. And what man is there that hath betrothed the wife? You've got married and hath not taken her. Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, what man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Talking to the soldiers. Let him go and return to his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. And it shall be, when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. So the people who are left are the people who are going to fight, and we're going to make captains, we'll go to war. If you've been married, just got married, go back home. If you just planted a vineyard, go back home. God didn't mind sending people home, because the numbers don't matter to God. Do you understand that? So, The same is true with a common Christian. We get very afraid of the Christian life sometimes. And really, I'll tell you this. If you want to go home and hide from all the stuff going on, that's fine. That's what God says. Okay, I'm not going to be furious at you. God's not saying, yeah, go on. We can go on. The rest of us, the few that stay, we'll keep going. That's what God says. You know what? Some of us, we're terrified, just as scared as you are, but we want to win. God promises to win. So Gideon, as we thought maybe 100 or 200 would go back, but imagine what it felt like when 22,000 men picked up and went home. That must have been gutting. It must have been very discouraging. Really, it always disappoints when people walk away for whatever reason. Thousands walked away from following Jesus, didn't they? Jesus even asked us, at that point, he may have had 10,000 people gathered around. They were there for free food, but he preached about food, and he says, this flesh is going to die. And they went, eh, and they, they walked home, and he turned to his own disciples. He says, are you going to go away also? Remember? Thousands left Jesus. Don't think for a second that that didn't hurt the other disciples. People walk away still today. They decide they can't stay in the spiritual war that we're in. So they stay home. They're afraid. They're content to let the devil ruin the world around us. They're afraid of the persecution they get for being a Bible believer instead of a news believer. 
I'd much rather be a Bible believer than the news believer, amen? So God has said, you guys that are terrified, you're welcome to go home. Step two, let's look at verse four. God says, I need to handpick the soldiers who are going to stay. How many are left now? How many remember? There are 10,000 soldiers left. So verse three, <clears throat> sorry, verse four. And the Lord sent to Gideon, the people that are yet, the people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, then the same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I shall say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue, as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself, likewise everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. The number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. Just get a, sec a point for a second. So the Lord is pointing out, you see that guy over there lapping with his, with his tongue like a dog? Get him out of there. And Gideon went, no problem at all. That guy's weird. And as, as he went around and he picked and he pulled 300 out, I, I'm telling you, get the idea, Gideon hasn't been told what's going to happen. He's just told, see that guy lapping? Now you understand what I mean lap, don't you? There are two, two or three different ways you could drink water at a river. Right? Some guys might just stick their head in the water. That's fine, okay? They're those who cup, I mean, these are the proper way. They get down the water and they drink like this. Oh, that's the proper way, isn't it? That's the civilized way. But there are some weirdos who took it and went. And you could see the other men going like this and pulling away from them, okay? And Gideon's being told, take that guy, put him over there. Take that guy, put him over there. And look at the story. Keep going there in verse... Uh, Seven, and the Lord said unto Gideon, did we read verse six? And a number of them, let me just read it again, putting their hand to their mouth were 300 men, but the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, guess what? By the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go every man unto his place. We've got, we're down... 10,000 standing with Gideon, and God still said, there's still too many, so let's go down to the river, watch the men drink, pick the ones up, pick out the ones that lap the water, and it's just, the, the one weirdo who's sitting there lepping it up in there is sort of just, he just stands out. You've got 10,000 men, there's 300 that are standing up in there, they're sitting there like, like oblivious, maybe look like they're eating an ice cream cone instead of drinking water. And God says, those are the ones I'm going to use to win. Get the picture. I know I've read some, some guys who say, well, these guys were the best of the best. They were not. These were weird. These were unusual. 10, 000, out of 10,000, the normal way to drink was being done by those others. Now, these guys weren't twisted. They weren't wrong. They're just doing things differently. And that's very important. I want to show you a point here because... To Gideon, when God says, these are the ones that I'm going to use, that's not what Gideon was expecting. Here's the point. Gideon wanted the best of the best helping him in the fight, doesn't he? Out of those 10,000, Gideon says, right, well, if you're cutting us down, then I want the best of the best helping me to win. 
We want the most noble. We want the smartest, the best educated, the best looking. We want those kind of people helping us. And yet, can you imagine Gideon being so embarrassed when the people he looked down upon, the people he went, I don't want to be associated with, God saying, that's the one I want to work with you. So just look at the number of men. How many men do we have left? 300. Look at their habits. They're a little weird. And look at the enemy. Have they diminished yet? Has the Midianites' army shrunk yet? No. God keeps shrink, shrinking down and cutting down all the helpers, and the helpers now are kind of weird. That's all right. Let me talk about this, this army of 300 here, because what's so special about them? Not much. These were not the special forces. I mean, when you think of the United States special forces, all the gear they get to wear, all the training they've gone through, or what about the SAS guys? Maybe there's a group in America called the, the, the Delta Force. I mean, they nearly, they bring these guys almost to the point of death in training them to go into some of the most incredibly dangerous situations and to see if they will break. These are called Delta Force. There's also, the Israelis have a group, I can't pronounce it, the Sayeret uh, Matkal. This group is the best of the best of the best. These guys train the SAS. And that is, what, that is what Gideon wanted with him in this battle. But that's not who Gideon got. Gideon got guys who weren't known. These, these men didn't have great names. They were unnoticed before. They were amongst 10,000, and yet here, the thing that distinguished them was they lapped water like a dog. They're a bit strange, yes. But you know, God uses the out of the ordinary. Aren't you glad? God doesn't, aren't you glad we're not all cookie cutter? I get sick of looking at politicians. I actually, I, this is being recorded, but I, I love uh, uh, the, the, the Heavy Rays. I do because he's different. He gets up and speaks his mind. When you have all of these perfect politicians who are just as wicked as can be, and you get somebody like, I can't remember his first name. Tell me what his first name is. Healy Ray, remember? Jackie Healy Ray, and then his son who's now in there. But, but I just like them just because they're different. They're unusual. But you know what? At least they didn't go home. They stayed in the fight, amen? They stayed there to fight, so at least they're brave. And there's one other good thing about these men, they were trusting. They're willing to follow Gideon, and if Gideon, if Gideon asked them to do anything, they were going to do it. So step three, in verse eight, it says this. So the people, they're going to prepare for war. The people took victuals in their hands. They took their dinner, and they took their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, back to his tent, and he retained those 300 men and guess what? The host of Midian was still beneath him in the valley. So this is kind of an interesting thing. These guys now are going to be used to, um, uh, to go into fight. There's no more time for training, no more time for praying, no more time to write home. And it was the middle of the night. It was, at, it was at, at, at that time that God said, it's time to face the enemy. So Gideon told them to grab their lunch or their dinner. And by the way, their lunch was carried in clay jars. Used to be, used to be. How many of you know, how many of you remember what a lunch box 
was. How many kids take a lunchbox still to school? I know, well, you don't go to take your lunchbox to school. You eat at school uh, all day long. Anyway, um, I grew up with lunchboxes. You had a thermos. That goes back thousands of years where they would carry a clay pot, a jar that would have their food in it. And so Gideon said, bring your dinner, bring your torch, bring your sword. Let's go to fight. And you think, what are they? Okay, what are they going to do? They don't know yet, but it's going to be awesome. And they prepared for war. But one last time, God says, I need to encourage Gideon. Verse 9, it came to pass the same night. The Lord said unto him, Arise, get, thy, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go with Phura, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down into the host. Well, then went down with Pura, his servant, uh, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels without number, as the sand of the seaside for multitude. So they still see all of the thousands and tens of thousands of soldiers. And when Gideon was come to the edge of the, the camp, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I just dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread. A bread roll, folks. You know, like a scone. A cake of a barley uh, of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and it smote it, it hit it, that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay along flat. And his fellow had answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. So in that, that moment, God says to Gideon, go listen to the Midianites as they talk among themselves. And as he's sitting there, as two men are talking, one says, I just woke up with a nightmare. I mean, when was the last time you woke up about a bread roll rolling across the valley? And it just hits a tent and knocks that tent flat. Bread doesn't normally do that. But this little light fluffy bread knocked down the, the, the Midianite tent. And believe me, when you're a soldier and you set up your tent, you set it up to stay. And here comes a little bread roll rolling along the ground, goes right into it and knocks it flat. And the other guy says, I had the same dream. This is Gideon coming and he's going to win the fight. And this is very encouraging because Gideon is hearing what God had already planted fear into the hearts of his enemies. Was Gideon afraid? Yes or no? Learn this, our enemies are more afraid. God made Gideon's enemies more afraid than Gideon was. That'll encourage anybody. When you realize the devil is terrified of you believing God, the devil is terrified of you attempting to do what God asks you to do. And if you ever just do it, you can resist the devil and he will flee. Flee. The idea, if somebody's fleeing, is because they're afraid. He will flee from you. So Gideon, I love how it says um, that Gideon worshipped. Verse, verse 15. It was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped. He returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord had delivered into your hand the host of Midian. So Gideon, you got to tell, you gotta, God's just very kind to Gideon, constantly encouraging him. And don't forget, God is probably trying to encourage you and me as well. 
kind of aren't listening maybe. So, now came the easy part. Do you know what's the hardest part? Convincing Gideon to believe God. Do you know what the easy part is? Defeating the enemy. If you have an addiction, if you have a, a, a reoccurring uh, memory that constantly defeats you because you can't forgive or you can't find forgiveness, no matter what you're battling, if you're living in a situation where there is pain, hurt, emotional, physical, whatever it is, that's not where the real battle is going to be. The real battle is, can you believe the promises of God? Can you believe the presence of Jesus Christ in your life and His strength? Once, listen, let me read this. Once Gideon was convinced that God was his strength, was the 300 going to be enough strength for Gideon to win the fight? Yes or no? In Gideon's mind. No. But once Gideon was convinced that God was his strength, once Gideon was convinced that God knew, that God knew how to win, once Gideon was convinced that he should take whoever God gave him, whatever kind of guy, even if God gave him two, it was going to be enough. When Gideon allowed God to strip down his confidence so that all Gideon had was God. And when Gideon was convinced to just do what God said do, that it would be okay. Guess what? He could walk on water, I believe. I really believe that. So Gideon goes out there and he learns that the fight was going to be easy. This is he says, guys, get up. We're going to win. And it is so important. It is so important for us to believe we're going to win, folks. I don't care what you go through in this life. I read the last chapter. We win. Amen? Christians win. Not because we're better than anybody, but because of Jesus Christ. Gideon encourages the men. He says, guys, let's go. I believe God. He, he divides them into the three groups. Look at verse 16. He divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers. So they've already eaten their dinner, okay? So they got these empty clay jars, and he says, grab this thing, and um, uh, you got trumpets and, uh, and lamps within the pitchers. So they took their torches, and they took the top of the torches and put them into the bottom of their clay jar. Their wives are going to kill them when they get home, but so they did, or whatever. And um, uh, verse 17, and he said unto them, look on me. Keep your eyes on, don't look at the enemy, don't look at the problem, don't look at what you're about to battle, look on me. Isn't that what we're told in Hebrews chapter 12? Looking unto, who's our Gideon? Jesus. Do as I do, Jesus says, doesn't he? Watch what Gideon says. He's a great illustration of Jesus here. He said, look on me and do likewise, do like I do. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that I, as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch and they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. It all happens so fast, but I want you to see this is at the, what's called the second watch of the night, which is midnight. And these, um, uh, all of these men have moved around in the valley, around the edge of the valley. They're on some on a hill, some of them are on small mounds, but they've taken a position around that massive valley. 
And uh, Gideon leads by example. Now, what does he equip them with? All right, they got a sword. They got a clay jar. They got a fire. Has he told them what to do? Yes or no? No, he just says, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, you blow the trumpet. When I smash, you smash. Just do whatever I do. And right into their assigned places, as they stand there, it's a thin line. I mean, they're just one man thick all the way around. If the Midianites wanted to, they could just walk right through this army of, of Gideon. But you know what I discover here? Every one of those men took up their place around that battlefield and they were needed. Everyone had a place to be in. And that place, it may not be powerful, it may not be super important. All the importance was on Gideon, wasn't it? But everyone was in their place. Everyone in one hand had a, had a sword and in the other hand had a pot, a clay jar with a fire in it. It wasn't visible yet. And then Gideon blew his trumpet. I think he's getting good at blowing the trumpet. Remember when he first learned how to blow the trumpet? And he attracted a few guys, and then he blew again, some more came. I think when he blew that trumpet, he, he blew like, like there was no tomorrow. And the loudness of that ram's horn just rattled people to the core. And one by one, the men around him began to blow, and the sound began to spread across that valley, and it surrounded. Now, how many of you have ever been two, three o'clock in the morning? Maybe, maybe right in the middle of the night, there's a sound, like maybe something, like we left our, uh, I leave my windows open until my wife tells me to close them, and I always obey. But I love to leave my, my windows open, but sometimes it gets me in trouble because the wind comes and will blow the, the, the shutter, um, uh, over and will knock something on the ground, on the floor, sometimes break it or whatever. Okay. But can you imagine the middle of the night, and I hate it, where all of a sudden you hear a sound and you bolt up. How do you feel when you bolt up due to a sound? Angry. You're like, rats. Somebody woke me up. Ah. Imagine 100,000 men woken up with the sound of a trumpet. Now, wars were not normally fought at night. You know why? Because you can't see. So how are you going to fight people? You're, gonna, you're just going to start swinging, and other people are going to start swinging. These guys come bolting out of their tent, and they're grabbing their swords. They can't see anything. This is beautiful. In the midst of that, where are the, where are the 300 men still? Anybody know? They're still in their place. They're still up there. They are blown with their trumpets. Here it says, verse, let's read it again. Verse 19, so Gideon and a hundred men that were with him, they came into the outside of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, midnight. And they had but newly set the change of the watch, and they blew the trumpets, they break the pitchers that were in their hands, and the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers. It's all spreading around those, that several miles around them. And they held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp. And the host, and all the host, the army of, of Midian, ran and cried and fled. And the 300 continued to blow the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. What's going on? The Midianites bump up against one another. And, oh, sorry, George. <laughs> I didn't know it was you. I mean, they are colliding with one another. 
And all the hosts ran. They cried unto the 300 blew the trumpets. I've just read verse 22. Uh, as set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. And the host fled to Bethshita in Zerarath, and on the border of Abel Meholah under Tabith. They're trying to get back home. They're on their way out. Must have been the most wonderful thing to watch because what started that fight? Gideon. Gideon, by example, began to blow. He smashed that jar so that the, the light began to be visible. And the, the idea is this. They hear the sound and those horns don't stop. They just get louder and louder as more and more join. And then all of a sudden, 300 smashing clay jars are smashing and lights are appearing. It's like magic. These Midianites are the most superstitious you could imagine. They've never seen anything uh, happen like this. And they just start swinging at everything that comes that bump into and they start running to, to, to go as, as far east as possible to get out of the country. And it goes even better because Gideon got to watch now all of Israel get involved. Verse uh, 23, and the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of, here's the, here's the tribes, now they're coming out of Naphtali and Asher and out of all Manasseh, and they pursued after the Midianites. And Gideon sent messengers now, it's coming into the morning, throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites. Take before them the waters under Beth Bara, under in Jordan. What's he want? He wants, he says, you guys go up there and cut them off and stop them, and we're coming up behind and let's squish them. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and they took the waters under Beth Bara in Jordan, and they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the mount, uh, upon the rock, Oreb, the name of the rock after him. And Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb. And they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon back on the other side, Jordan. What's the, what's the end result? Gideon won the war. The victory was won by God. Not by willpower, but by fully believing God was able to do what he had promised. What was it that enabled Sarah to have a baby at 90 years old? Hebrews chapter 11 says, because she judged him faithful who had promised. See, when Gideon just trusted and obeyed God, when he just worked with 300 men that God gave him, and they became unified. Did you notice those 300 men didn't argue? They didn't complain? They said, this is a stupid battle plan. They, in unity as one man, they won. And they got to watch. How much fighting did they do? Almost none. Almost none. Who did most of the fighting? The Midianites, against themselves. Do you know what is so dangerous in Christianity? The devil gets us fighting against ourselves. Gets All of a sudden we hear something that somebody says or somebody doesn't say something that we should be praised for or whatever or things get passed on as rumors and things and the devil goes, there, I just unplugged them. There, they can't hurt me now. And so what is it that God wants? God wants the unsaved wants the wicked, wants the world to fight among themselves. He wants us to love one another. Yes, we may need to go to somebody and say, you know, that hurt, but I love you anyway. That's how Christians have the victory. Gideon got to watch a war be won without him even using his sword yet. Now, what's the point of all this? Let me give you the application and I'm done. Every person in this room can become free just like Israel was. 
There's nobody in this room who says, you know, Pastor, I've tried to do this. I've tried to put down this addiction. I've tried to get right with my wife. I've tried to, to, to keep a job. I've, I, I just can't do it. That is not true, not if you're saved. Of course you can't. And all the counselors and all the, um, all, all the self-help books aren't going to get very far either. You need Christ, which strengthens you. You need to have a relationship that's close and passionate and desperate every day. And I guarantee you, as, as weird as it may seem, and as, as unusual as it may seem, you will walk in victory. That is the promise of Christianity. Christianity is not, oh, I'm so glad you're saved. Join the misery. <laughs> That's not Christianity. Our enemies, even the demons and the devils of this world, are more afraid than we are. Every demon-possessed person that Jesus encountered, guess what they did when they saw Jesus? They freaked out and said, what, what do you want? Get away from us. I like that. Amen. They're more terrified than we are. God is already at work on our enemies, both physical and spiritual, even though we're struggling with whether we can trust him or not. You know, he was giving the Midianites nightmares while he was trying to get Gideon to fight. <laughs> so as he's encouraging Gideon, Gideon, you have no idea how easy it's going to be if you just obey. I've already got everything prepared. Here's a great truth. You ready? Oop, stripping us down is the work of God. So next time you see God taking Moses, if you imagine Moses raised in Egypt, he is in line to be Pharaoh. He is one of the most well-trained. He's probably one of the most polished speakers. He's probably one of the most intellectually advanced thinkers. He could do circles around uh, 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 Richard Dawkins or Stephen Hawking. He was brilliant. He was a political leader. Uh, he was a, a military leader. He was able to march the Egyptian armies into battle and win. And yet God said, I don't need that kind of Moses. I need a shepherd, Moses. And so when Moses was out in the wilderness for 40 years, you know what God was doing? Stripping him down, taking everything away from him so he could only stutter. He had lost all his confidence. And God said, now I can use you. Now I can use you. So stepping, stripping us down is the work of God. Don't say, Lord, make me smart. Well, that might be a good request, but not to do what God asks you to do. Make me willing is what you need to pray. Make me believing. The laborers, here's a great truth. Started with 32,000, went from 32,000 to 10,000. 10,000 to 300. Didn't Jesus say? The laborers in the gospel ministry are what? Few. They're always few compared to the need. And truly, most Christians are afraid to even try and help. But you know what? Some of us are going to keep going, even if it's only a few of us. I look at Ireland and my heart grieves. Our church, if you, if you knew my dreams, not nightmares, my dreams, I dream that there would be a church, I, I dream that there would be 10 churches in Cork preaching just like this today all over Cork City. I know there are some, and I'm glad for it, but I'd like to see 10 more. I'd like, Ireland should be the Bible belt of Europe. I believe that. Ireland has a, a, 
a, a, a, something in their DNA that just is rebellious, amen? That should be able to stand and say, you know, let's just preach the gospel. Let's not follow Rome. Let's not follow America. Let's follow Jesus. There is something that ought to be here. But you know what? If there's not large crowds, if there's not great participation, some of us are just going to keep on going even if we're just 300, amen? I thought I said, all right. In the actual fight that you have to win is going to be easy once all the hard parts are completed. I think God spends, and I spend, so much time convincing you that He is your strength. Convincing you that God knows how to win. Convincing you to take whatever help God gives you. Let me be real plain. There, there may be people who come to church and they go, you know, pastor's not very polished. He doesn't make sense a lot. My counselor makes more sense than pastor. I, I understand. I understand. My point is this. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, hasn't he? So the help that God gives you, even though it may be somebody, I mean, I hope you're glad that I don't lap like a dog when I drink my coffee. We're going to have a cup of tea tonight. Don't think many people be in church tonight, would they? But you know, whatever help God gives you, if it's God giving it to you, hug them. Listen to them. You don't have to have the best of the best. You, don't, you just need God giving. When God gives you help, say thank you. God said to the, to the church at Corinth, he says, you've got an argument, take it to the person who's least esteemed, the person that nobody listens to, and says, what should we do? And that person, if that person says, whatever they say, you're to do it. That's God saying, take that person who you would never listen to, and that's the person I gave you to give you counsel. God does the opposite. So anyway, once we get all of those battles done, then whatever we have to do. So I, I listen, I use the examples. You say, I just can't go to work tomorrow. I can't put up with that boss. I can't put up with that wife of mine. I can't put up with my parents. I can't get this addiction dealt with. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. If you let God fix you first, whatever you have to fix, it'll be easy. Amen? Here's the invitation. Don't live in bondage. Just because you're afraid doesn't mean that your enemy is, is, is going to win. Whatever, offer, whatever, God, whatever help God offers, take it. Say, what's, what's, what's the deal, Pastor? The, the, the most important thing, the most important help God ever gave you was Jesus dying in your place. You say, well, I, I need money. I need a girlfriend. I need a child. I need a home. I need, a, 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 I need a job. I need, none of those things are your needs. You know what you need? You need Jesus Christ. You need what he did for you 2,000 years ago, and you need it in your heart today. It's called being born again. That's the help of God. You fighting God is the biggest level of stupidity ever when you finally say, I need Jesus. When he enters into your life, the biggest enemy you got, which is death and hell, flees. Isn't that awesome? You cannot face death without Christ and win. You will lose. But with Christ, you won't even die. You've already passed from death unto life. So, dear friend, if you're not saved, today would be a good day to get saved. Would you stand with me and bow your heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we finish looking at, at Gideon, this, this month has been to encourage us 
that you really mean it when you say we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. But we got to get that strength. We got to want that strength. We got to quit living like we don't need it. And right now, every person in this room, just stop and go, Lord, I'm sorry. I have lived without prayer, without desperate prayer, asking you to help me. I'm too ashamed. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too proud to accept the fact that I need you. And I'm so tired of trying to prove that, that I'm okay. Trying to prove that I can handle things when I can't. I want to I live on the other side now. I, you took Gideon, who was so unlikely. He was an extreme, yes. You, you, put, him, you put one man up against 100,000 to show me and show us how we're supposed to be. No matter what enemy, whatever struggle we got to face. Lord, I don't want anybody in this room going away with theory. We need to go away with reality that I believe God. I believe that he gives me the strength I need for every day if I would just seek it, if I would just want it, if I live by it instead of my own abilities. And when I don't have any abilities, I still go forward in your ability. Whatever you ask me to do, Lord, I will do. And in this room, maybe many people who've never once cried out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. Help them to get saved today. All they got to do is ask. <laughs> All they got to do is run to you. Don't put it off another moment, please. I pray that you would bless every thought that we've learned today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.